the thing is, if you want to do a team building exercise, forget all the assault courses and other things they have you do. Get the team together and do a restore. <laughs> it's some of the best. It's a bit like it's seriously. It's a bit it like the trust seen. exercises where you lean backwards and somebody <laughs> yes. catches you. It's like that. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All Podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my table saw safety enthusiast, Persona Malianti. How's it going, Persona? I'm good, Curtis. I don't know if I call myself a safety enthusiast, but... You, you don't I, believe in safety? No, not at all. Plus, <laughs> I think you could say I'm a bad influence on you, seeing how much equipment you've now started to accrue. Yeah, last night I watched, I don't know, I'm going to say two solid hours of just table saw safety videos. But it is good for you to refresh your mind on what table saw safety means. Yeah, you do recall that (laughs) table saw is the reason that this finger is missing the, or this hand is missing the end. I'm missing the end of the middle finger on my left hand. For those of you listening, so it's actually really hard for me to watch some of those videos. Is it like when you're doing like driver's education, learning to drive, they show what is that red asphalt? Was that the name of the movie where it's like accidents happen and blood on the asphalt? Yeah, I think is what that one's called. I do remember that one. But this one, there's one where a guy actually shows in the video. He doesn't have the board completely clear the blade when he takes his hand off of it and it, the blade grabs the board and tosses it essentially at his groin area. And the thing is when you watch it, he looks at it one frame at a time and the, the, the board goes from being on the other side of the blade to his groin in less than a frame wow. of the video. And so that's one thirtieth of a second, probably. Yeah. And he's like, don't do that. But yeah, it's been interesting. But the thing that's got me super excited right now has been this new video editing or this editing tool. It's both video and audio. And and it's this thing called... Descript. uh, Descript. Yeah. And it's just... You sounded so excited when you texted me. (laughs) Oh my God. It's hard to describe how amazing this tool is. Where you input the, in my case, I'm in, I'm actually, because we're using video clips of these episodes, I'm inputting the video and I edit the video and then I excerpt the audio or the audio excerpts. It's made mainly for talking head videos like these, right? Or audio. And you input the audio or video. It does automated transcription, which gets about 95% accurate. And then you go through and you... Obviously, you can correct the things that it got wrong, but the really amazing part is if you start a sentence and you change your mind or you have the a lot of words going up to that sentence, all you have to do is highlight those words in the document and it cuts them out of the video. It's like magic. <laughs> it's like magic. And then if that's not enough magic... The part that I'm super excited about trying is sometimes you say one word when you meant to say another. That never happens to you, Curtis. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. 
like the the podcast I was editing yesterday, it was you and I talking about 365 mm -hmm. and you don't want this to happen on your worst day. That's what I meant to say. But for some reason I said last day. So with this tool, first off, I train it with my voice. I literally speak into the microphone, a bunch of stuff. It can then synthesize my voice and I can select that word and change the word last to worst. And it will put my voice there, a synthesized version of my voice. So, so here's a question, Curtis. Do we actually need to have this podcast anymore? Or can we just have, not even just type it out. Can we just have something auto generate based on all of our past podcasts and just have it start creating new podcasts? It'll just be a recording that says three, two, one rule <laughs> over and over and over. No, but it's, you know how they have, they've trained AI to now do paintings and things like that. I wonder if we could yeah. basically have AI based. Yeah. First I get, I have to get all the audio and then feed that into a thing. Yeah. Yeah, we don't need you and me anymore. Exactly. How hard is it to just say, back up your stuff, back up all the stuff, and make sure you test your backups? Yeah. And then you just do it based oh, off no. of whatever is trending on Twitter and the data protection security space, and it comes up with a new uh, podcast episode for us. That may have already happened. Who knows? You don't know. This is an auto-generated video, an auto-generated audio. Who knows? But speaking of testing backups, I was thinking about this concept. As long as you don't test your backups, your backup is both uh, a complete success and a complete failure, which reminds me of the concept of Schrodinger's cat. I like the former rather than thinking about the latter, but that's the optimistic yeah, but, rather than the realist. So you're familiar with the concept of Schrodinger's cat, right? Based on TV shows, movies. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So it's just a concept, as I understand it, concept that you have this cat in a box. And as long as you don't look in the box, the cat is both alive and dead. But once you look in the box, you will know that the cat is alive or dead. Yep. That's the concept of Schrodinger's cat. And the reason why this is relevant today is that we have the author of a, a blog called Schrodinger's Backup, When Good Documentation Goes Bad. <laughs> He's been in the IT industry almost as long as I have. He comes to us from the UK. Welcome to the podcast, Gary Williams. Thank you. And thank you for the invite. I I saw that title and I was like, I got to get this guy on Curtis was so excited, Gary. You have no idea. This is like one of his favorite topics. <laughs> thank you. I, I don't know if I coined the term. I have seen it used since. I'd like to think I coined the term, but I don't know for certain. I say, why not? It may be something that I heard and I just copied because it just sounds really cool and it's perfectly accurate, I think. It was oh, three or four companies ago. The lessons we learned still definitely apply today. But this happened about three companies back. So about 10 years ago. So what was your role at the time? So my role at the time was a senior network engineer or senior support engineer, something like that. Okay. And you, you had the uh, the gall to, to ask about backups? No, I didn't. I was overconfident with our backups, let's say. So we had the backup software. I think it was backup exec. And uh, we had all the, the servers being backed up. We had everything going to dual tapes. The tapes were going off site. Everything was working. Dual, dual tapes? Dual tapes. We actually had the backups. Uh, the software was writing uh, effectively RAID 1 backup. So it's writing to two tapes. Oh, dual tapes. Okay. I heard, for some reason, I heard dual. I don't know why. 
<laughs> it's the English accent. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to two tapes simultaneously. So the idea was that even if a tape broke or if something happened to the backup, we weren't entirely sure of, or you couldn't restore from one of the tapes, you could then get the other tape and use that tape to do the restore. So we had all that stuff going on and we got all the emails and of course, getting the emails saying all the backups are good everything must be absolutely fine why would we test them why we're busy enough with other tickets and other stuff going on and projects we haven't got time to test them what's the point we know they work and so it looks like you were doing all the right things in terms of setting up backups following the three two one rule right making sure your copies were off site and so i think that's probably better than maybe like 70% of the people out there who try to do backups. You're like doing the right things. You're like, oh, I'm good to go. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. As I say, we had the emails. We even checked the emails. (laughs) I think we even had a shared folder or something like that where all the backups uh, emails went. And if one of us saw that the folder had an unread, we'd go in, we'd check it. If there was an error, someone would get a ticket. It would get sorted out. If the error went on for several days, there would be a conversation. We would get these things fixed. Where's the problem? We know our backups are good. So you you were uh, you were I, I know I don't know what to call it, but so instead of being a proponent of testing the backups, you were a proponent of oh everything's fine. Unfortunately, at that time, <laughs> yes, I was sitting there, quite fat, dumb, and happy, going, "We've got the emails. The backups work. We know they work. Where's the problem?" I I didn't see any issue here at all. For what it's worth, I had a similar point in my career, and there was a time I remember when I was at a, a company. I, I won't give the actual name of the company, but I will just say it's a very well-known electronics manufacturer. And I had helped them set up their backup system and I wasn't there just to do the backups. I was there to do sysadmin stuff. And they were a mess. This was a, it was a small department in this bigger electronics company. It was an interesting department. They called it um, simulation modeling and research. So it was a revolutionary idea at the time of the idea of modeling, like in a computer, what would happen if you drop this device. And so they were doing this in a computer. It was a fascinating new at the time, new field of science. So I was there to fix a whole bunch of problems. One of which, for example, was that every workstation, uh, it was all Unix workstations and every person had root on their workstation. And uh, that was the first thing I was gonna fix. But I also set up their backup system and the backups worked. So I assumed the restores would work. And it was, some time I was there long enough that I went, I actually at some point needed to do a restore. And I found out that those tape drives were really good at writing data and they were completely incapable of reading data. (laughs) Again, I don't want to, you know, I'm sure there was something wrong with these drives, but they were IBM 3590 drives. Normally IBM drives are top of the line or whatever, but there was something wrong with these drives that I was completely. So I guess what I'm saying is you're not alone. Even me who I've spent my career in this, although honestly, that's that event is on the list of things that I think back to when I, when I try to get other people to do it. 
absolutely the same with me. The back ops that we were taking, as I say, we were only a small team and we had all the emails, we had everything in place. We had the two tape libraries doing the backups. So we thought we were in a really good position because we had everything working the way it should. We even had documentation for how all this stuff was put together. We actually had a consultancy come in and help us put all this stuff together. Because at the time I was working for a financial institution, we had to have certain boxes ticked. And we had those boxes ticked because we had the documentation. We had the backups. They were going off-site. They were going off-site. They were being looked after for us. We even record tapes to make sure we could do the process and no tapes were getting lost. So we did that level of testing. But what we never actually tested was actually restoring <laughs> the data itself. Um, and it was a bit of an epiphany when we actually had someone come into the team who uh, brand new to IT, had never worked in IT before, always wanted to work in IT. He was actually employed in the business in a completely different role. And he actually said to me one day, I'd like to move into IT. I thought he was joking. It turns out, no, he was actually serious. He was an ex-finance person, went to move into IT. So he applied internally, he got the job, he started with us. And he started looking through some old tickets. And he was saying things like, why did you do such and such a, a change this way? So there's a whole education thing going on there. And that's when he asked the question, when did you test the backups? <laughs> what, what do you mean test them? We've got the emails. Look, here you can see the servers. Here's the tape drives. Here's the tapes. We record the tape. Yeah, yeah, sure. But when did you restore something? <laughs> and it's something I won't actually forget because there is this look. There's only four of us in the IT team. We were a really small team for a company of about 300. And there's this look kind of around the whole office and everyone's going, what? We haven't actually tested them, have we? <laughs> it's like a light bulb goes um, off and it's, yeah. It's, ooh. And we, we like, hang on. Yeah, we should probably test one of these, shouldn't we? Okay, what should we test? <laughs> and it, looking back on it, it was a really insane moment just to think that we'd had these. I think we'd actually had the emails coming in for over a year. And yes, we'd had the odd backup failure where something had timed out or there was a fault with one of the tape drives. These tape drives were quite old, uh, so they actually had physical SCSI mm. cables that would sometimes play up. So you had to make sure the SCSI cables were all firmly attached, the Terminator was in, it was the good old days. And, Did you um, never have to deal with yeah, restore? Of course, you had both active and passive Terminators as well. Yeah, exactly. We did actually have to do some restores, but we had a storage array and the storage array let us do snapshots. So 99% of the restores that we needed, just copy and paste from yeah. the snapshot. Not a problem. You deleted that file. Not a problem. There it is. If something was deleted from a desktop, the common response was, we don't back things up on your desktop. Sorry, that's tough. If you want it backed up, put it onto yeah. the server. You put it into your home drive or something like that. It will get backed up. So that was the general understood consensus. And because it was a small company, most of the time this wasn't an issue. And as I say, people uh, deleted a file. I remember one time we had an Excel file that was a real pain because of all these financial macros. And we restored that from a snapshot and it was still corrupt. And we had to go back a week or so. We managed to get the file back and it was working. And we actually said it, and I remember it quite well, we said it within the team. That was lucky. We may have actually had to get the tapes on site <laughs> and do a restore from the tapes. But the snapshot works, everything's fine, you know, yeah. Now you've decided, okay, we haven't tested, maybe we should actually try doing the test. 
How did you decide yeah. what to test? Funny enough, it was a, a new guy. The discussion was actually, okay, you're the person sitting there looking through the tickets, you're looking through the documentation, you're new to it all. You want us to prove to you that the restore process works. We know it does. Pick something. And then he sat there and he went, how about the exchange server? <laughs> <laughs> like, Swing your okay, fences. Fine. Oh. <laughs> so... We thought, okay, fine, we'll uh, get the tapes back on site, we'll do the restore, we'll prove that the backups work, and we can go back to what we're normally doing, all the project work, that kind of thing. We can spend a day on this, it'll be good for us, not a problem. We even went to the documentation and got the documentation out and said, yeah, we've got, look, we've got the documentation, the tapes are coming in, this is going to be easy. And it wasn't. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> so when you decide to do the restore did you bring down your production or were you like, I'm going to restore this into a safe spot? And Yeah, we couldn't bring down production because the nature of the business was that we needed to keep the server up and running. We actually had a spare okay. server. <laughs> and I think we may have even had two spare VMs were just starting to come on the scene. And we actually had a spare server racked. And the idea was that if we had a server failure, we could take the physical disks out of one server, put it into another server, power it on, be back up and running. This is also before the days of replicas. They were, again, just coming out, and a lot of the software was super expensive, and the company you didn't want to go You give me flashbacks, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. Well, we had this physical server, and it had plenty of disk space to handle this. So we said, okay, let's... We've not actually even powered this server on, I don't think. I think maybe it was powered on when we bought it, and that was it. So we said, we should test that server out anyway. Yeah, let's power it on. Let's get the data restored to that server and bring Exchange up. We can bring it up in an isolated network, do some very basic tests on it. Because it was a small team, we had access to the networking guys. I say networking guys. We did a little bit of networking age, and there was one guy who did a lot of the really key networking tasks so none of that was a problem we didn't have to wait months for tickets or to get done or anything like that so we set up this isolated network we got the tapes on site and we started doing the restore and that's when it all went horribly wrong so who was doing the restore i if i recall it was actually our help desk guy we, we said to him look you came up with this you put a lot on this guy it was his idea and you're like, what? If you think testing backups is so important, why don't you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. We, we did put it on him because it was his idea. And we said, look, this is a really good exercise for you to do. A again, unfortunately, and I put my hands up to this, it's a bad thing to have done. But we said, I'm a senior IT person. I know the backups are good. Here you go. Here's the tapes. Here's the documentation. See you later. And uh, off he goes. And he comes back. I think it was about two, three hours later, something like that. And he went, I can't get this working. What do you mean you can't get it working? What's the problem? And I don't actually recall what the problems, all the problems were, but I know that the server itself didn't have enough disk space, even though it was supposed to have the disk space because the documentation said you need partition sizes like this. And it, it actually changed since mm. then, and we didn't realize. Ah. And that was really the start of a lot of problems. Yeah. First off, I, I will say that even though the way you got there, I like the way you did it. What say? Even though the way you got there was wrong, <laughs> the fact that you, the fact that you had this person do it who wasn't the person that made the documentation, that's actually something I push pretty heavily. The, and and it's an idea that came from 
back in, in my days when I was at a bank and we very much did test restores. First off, we didn't have snapshots. We didn't have any of that stuff. And we had 10,000 employees and any one of them was allowed to call into the help desk and ask for a restore on any given day. And so we would get 10 to 15 restores a day. So we tested pretty regular, but the thing that we, by in that degree, but the thing that we had to test in the way that you did were these large server restores. We did a DR test and it was an absolute imperative from the powers that be was that Curtis wrote the documentation. Curtis cannot be the person actually doing the test. Curtis needs to be standing back there listening closely to the problems that are happening, but which, which was actually kind of nice, although it's nerve wracking to be the person who wrote the documentation and, and, and sitting there uh, watching someone, you think you've answered all the questions, but it's not like in this case, you, you had the classic example of the documentation might've been correct, but it was out of date. It was correct at the time. And the irony is very similar with you. I didn't actually write the documentation. It was written by the contractors and consultants that came on. I actually signed off on the documentation saying, yes, all the version numbers are correct. And I think I'd done a couple of updates and then we'd had other changes and either people had forgotten or I'd forgotten, probably I'd forgotten to update the documentation because we were busy, only a small team. And so things very slowly on not just that document, but on every other document that we had about the environment become out of date. And it was this snowball of errors that would crept in and the thing that we realized is actually having no documentation would have been better <laughs> because the documentation was lying to us this poor guy is sitting there going i followed steps three four and five but i can't do step six because step five doesn't work now, what do you mean it doesn't work and that's when we found out there was a service pack that was missing from exchange so it couldn't go any further wow. and it just kept on building and building like this that is an interesting problem. How do you keep your documentation up to date as you're making these changes and making sure everyone across the environment knows like where the documentation is and all the rest of that? Today, we use a wiki solution for all of our documentation. The idea behind that, of course, is the wiki is so easy to edit, but you still still don't or sometimes you still don't you make a note i'll do that tomorrow <laughs> or next week so there is still the exact same risk and even in my current place we've seen this with certain i mean we do testing as well we do a lot more testing now than anywhere i've ever worked before and even with a lot of the modern systems with amazon and backups to s3 and all this kind of stuff we still test to make sure that everything's correct that we know what we're doing that those Wiki pages are fully up to date. We did some AD restore testing not so long ago, and we found not major errors, but there was a couple of little issues there with the restore process, which just needed a few corrections in the documentation. Just it's like a permissions error type of thing where we couldn't actually get access to the bucket. So we had to make some changes there. So even with all the modern backup <laughs> software, it's still so important. I talked about those DR tests that we did back in the day. And the, and the fact that we always had someone who wasn't me doing the tests. And frequent listeners to the podcast will have heard this before, but if we define a successful restore <clears throat> as we got from A to Z without having to ask Curtis, what does this line mean? Not a single one of the restores was successful. So if Curtis ever got blown up and whatever, the, the, the chances of a restore going completely without a hitch was zero. 
which is why you talked about updating. There's always little things that you have to update. I, I would suggest that original documentation. And again, take this for what it's worth to anybody who's listening. The first mistake was writing the documentation in a way that it can easily get outdated. Our exchange server is 75 terabytes, right? That's a problem. So if, if you're going to hand that to a restore documentation, what it should say is before beginning the restore, go look at the size of the backups and, and yeah. figure out how big the current exchange server is and then size the volume accordingly. Yeah, yeah that, that line wouldn't have gone out of date as quickly. It is a real challenge, by the way, this idea of what it's like to update documentation. By the way, back in the day, we were using WordPerfect. Right. Yeah, and, and I remember the official company standard was WordPerfect because mm -hmm. we could use it on, we had Unix versions of WordPerfect. By the way, Cursus-based WordPerfect, not this fancy Windows, <laughs> what you see is what you get editing stuff. This was text on a screen. And, and I remember getting in a fight over, there was this one guy that was new and he wanted to use Word because nobody used WordPerfect. <laughs> and we were like, we don't care. We use WordPerfect here for our documentation. Yeah. And if you want your documentation to fit into our documentation, you will use WordPerfect and you will like it. <laughs> I remember our first days of moving across to Word where you had the... Um, Word had the ability to mimic WordPerfect key presses so you could transition easily. <laughs> Good old days. <laughs> Good old days. But I think what you're doing now with the wiki, I think that's a much better approach. It is. There's permissions list behind it, obviously, so that not everyone can get access to it, but it's the right people can get access. Mm -hmm. But what it means is everyone in the team can get access. They can all update it. There's a history as well. So the other thing that we didn't have is the backup of the documentation was on the server we were backing up. <laughs> oh. oh, exactly. So we all we had was that documentation and looking back on it we we made quite a few mistakes like this we had the I say we had the documentation on the file server so if the file server was lost how do you get your documentation and it was again something our help desk guy pointed out to us like how do you get your documentation I went that's fine actually how would yeah. we <laughs> sometimes it's that outside perspective yeah. where someone's like, hey how are you actually going to get this stuff done <laughs> Something I think it's really important to know is at the time I was a senior IT person. There's a colleague of mine who was senior and we had a network guy. All of us were reasonably senior. This guy was a junior. He'd been working in finance for three or four years beforehand and he just moved into IT. And he had such a fresh perspective on everything that it really opened our eyes. And that's the day I learned that it doesn't matter if you've got 50 years IT experience or five minutes, there's always something you can learn from someone. And sometimes the most valuable thing you can learn is from someone who is very new to the team, fresh eyes, fresh perspective. It's invaluable. 100% agree. <laughs> there, there is a perspective that you can only gain by being completely ignorant. He could have been not junior to IT. In this case, he was. But even if he's a senior IT person, but he's joining your organization for the first time. Another way you look at this person when they ask for things of like, when they ask stupid questions, so how often do we test our backups here? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. we don't do that. With my current place, any new person we get into our IT team, we literally do that sort of thing with them now where we say, have a look through the tickets. If you've got any questions, ask. Have a look through the wiki. Again, you've got any questions, ask. Because 
there's so many things in there. There's like the, the whole corporate culture and there's corporate acronyms. And if they don't know what they are, we've just found a problem because if uh, we I mean, there's um, one acronym we have. I, that's how my brain's gone. Sorry. There's one acronym that we have that's very similar to an IT acronym. I can't remember what it is off the top of my oh, head. Right. But when you look at it, you think the IT term because you're an IT person, but it actually means the corporate. So there's that kind of thing. It's always important to spell out these acronyms at the start of any documentation so that everyone knows this is what you are referring to. Especially That's Prasanna's the- job on, on the podcast. If anybody yeah. ever brings up an acronym that they don't spell out, Prasanna's always making them spell it out. Yep. I'm like, what does that really mean? Please tell me. But it's yeah. important. This is the thing. You can walk into a meeting with all the IT acronyms and every IT person sitting there will probably think it's something different. I think DC is a good one because DC's direct current, data center, you know, things like that. And this is the sort of thing that we've experienced several times uh, you know, through different companies I've worked for. And it's always valuable to get that new person's insight because they don't know the corporate terminology. They don't know the corporate acronyms. So it's worth getting them on board and going through all this stuff because they've got this fresh insight before they learn that stuff and they can spot these problems before they become a problem. I just realized I haven't thrown out our usual disclaimer. Prasanna and I work for different companies. I work for Druva and he works for Zoom. And this is not a podcast of either company and the opinions that you hear are ours. Please rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And if you are like our guest here today, Gary, who just, you're an IT person out there and you want to talk about your favorite subject, uh, or if, you know what, maybe if you hate- Come challenge Mr. Backup. Some crazy person would actually like them, then uh, come on here. Related topics, cybersecurity, data privacy, a number of related topics. We'd love to have you on as a guest and and reach out to me at wcurtispreston at Gmail or at wcpreston on Twitter, and we'll get you on here. So um, how did it turn with your with your restore? So eventually we got there. We actually got the Exchange server fully restored. We'd corrected the documentation. And I think it took three or four days, something like that. And the the thing is, if you want to do a team building exercise, forget all the assault courses and other things they have you do, get the team together and do a restore. (laughs) It's some of the best. It's a bit like like the trust exercises where you lean backwards (laughs) and somebody catches you. It's like that. I've also never seen so many whiteboards being used to describe issues and draw diagrams of how things hung together. And it was actually really good. And I will admit, we ended up putting some projects, uh, not exactly on pause, but we put them to one side as all of us started getting involved in this restore because we realized we actually had a very serious problem. I'll I'll be honest, we gave the help desk guy, this junior guy to IT, the documentation, and we did expect him to trip over a few things. He's a new person, some of the terminology is new. Fine, not a problem. You know, we're there to help. What we didn't expect was us to trip over the same issues. We honestly thought that, like you were saying earlier, Curtis, that he was going to ask us some questions. We could uh, do some updates to the documentation, do it again, and everything would be fine. But we didn't expect to get stumped by our own documentation. And unfortunately, we actually did. We're sitting there going through the documentation going, well, hang on a minute. We know that the password is in this password safe and that password should work. But something had changed or I think at one point we'd actually changed the security model. So it was requiring stronger passwords. So you couldn't actually use the password that was on (laughs) the backup. You had to go and reset an account. And it was lots of, there was nothing 
seriously wrong with the backup as such. And there was nothing seriously wrong with the documentation, but it was lots of little things that just piled up and piled up. And every time we took a couple of steps forward, we thought, that's it. We've got this solved. We'll get this restored. And then we got it all up and running and we got the server running and exchange server service wouldn't start. Couldn't figure out why. And I think that one took us a day to go through and we ended up having to run some additional commands. And finally we got there. We got it all up and running. And uh, I still remember, I think it was actually like a Friday or something. We're sitting there in the office and we went, yeah, that was a really good question. You know, can we restore the data? Thank you for asking it. <laughs> yeah. And we had a bit of a celebration over that one. I, I would say that I, I like what you were saying about it. sounded like there was a lot of collaboration. It sounds like there was a lot of whiteboards going on and you were learning a lot. I would argue that the reason that was the case is that you weren't doing it under duress. You were doing this at Definitely, the test. Yeah. If your exchange had been down for three or four days, that would have been a very different experience, right? Completely. It's something that we actually discussed that Friday afternoon. We got the exchange server up and running, and the conversation was, what happens if this happens for real? Because, sure, we got the backup restored. We know that the backup is good. The emails told us that, and it was good. But the restore process wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And I think we focused way too much on the backup itself and not the restore at that point. And so we had that conversation and it was a matter of what would happen. And we knew that we were a small company. We knew we would have the CEO down in the office <laughs> screaming at us, I need this back. We can't conduct business. And I'll be honest, that day we got a healthy lot of respect both for the backups, for documentation and, and the accuracy of documentation and for the server itself. Because... We knew that you know, the company, at that point, the company relied on email so much that if that server did disappear and we took that long to get back up and running, the loss, the financial loss to the company and the reputational loss to the company would have been huge. And that also actually helped form some push forward for additional resilience in like the servers and moving more towards things like virtual machines so that we had the ability to clone and, and do other bits and pieces because we could use that as an experience as, look, this is how long potentially worst case scenario it will take. It shouldn't because we're learning and we need to do this a lot more often. We need to allocate time to do this. And the beauty was, again, being such a small company, we actually had the ear of a couple of directors. So we could put this case forward and they were really receptive to it. I, I want to tack on something you said there. So the fact that you and I have, have been in that time frame, young kids today, <laughs> they don't understand my what it was like back then when yeah. you had no resiliency, you had no redundancy, you, you had nothing. So we had a server, that a server had a disk drive. We didn't have mirroring. We didn't have RAID. Oh, no, we had RAID. We had RAID 5. Oh, we, did you? We were really well, at market. We, we didn't. When I was, you know, back in the day, we literally were installing data directly on individual disk drives. I think we might have had redundant power supplies on the servers that we were using, and that was it. And so the loss of any one of those components could take the server, right? And and now nowadays, we move forward to the days of virtualization and that you can just, if there's a little problem with this server, you just move your VM over to another server. In fact, you can vMotion it and storage vMotion it and you can move it while it's running, which continues yeah. to boggle my brain. Likewise. Right? And, and also the devices that, we, that that so many of us have grown used to. I At home, I pretty much live a solid state life. My TiVo has a solid <laughs> state hard drive. And, and so those are so much more reliable than the moving 
part drives that you and I grew up on. And I think as a result, they don't have the appreciation, the respect that you need to, to, to test backups the way you should. I don't know. Just a quick editor's note. In the next section, Gary is going to mention something called ILO and IDRAX. And he, we forgot to have him define it, so I'm doing that now. They are systems from Dell and HP, the integrated Dell Remote Access Controller, and HP's integrated Lights Out. They're both systems that help increase the uptime of the server by notifying you of potential failures or issues. Back to your podcast. One of the things that we still do today, and this is probably me being paranoid coming from that environment, we didn't get alerts from the servers if a disk failed because it didn't really know. The um, ILOs and IDRAX were way too expensive for us to have at that point. So daily server room checks go around. Is there any flashing lights that shouldn't <laughs> be flashing? And we still do that in our data centers today, and we still do that with some of our machines. And, you know, we've actually got this philosophy in place now where if a machine is up for more than 30 days, it needs to be rebooted because we don't know if it's reboot safe. So we started to put uptime alarms in. Certainly on Windows, Linux is a bit different. But with Windows, when it hits a 30-day point, if we get an uptime alarm, it means that there's possibly a patching issue yeah. with that. We should get an <laughs> alarm from the patching system as well. So we go off and we, we check. But the other thing, we do something similar with Linux as well. We're trying to get all the Linux servers rebooted because generally with those, we can patch them hot. But we still want to get them rebooted. Are they reboot safe? Because if we do lose power or a machine crashes, it's great having all that stuff there. But if it doesn't reboot, we've got a problem and we may have a backup. But if that backup has inherited that corruption or that problem, we're in a bad place. So we do try to make sure that we've got that, these servers rebooted on a fairly regular frequency. That's actually very interesting. I never thought about that, about the fact that you need to reboot these systems and just make sure is the hardware and the OS and everything else good to go. Absolutely. The other thing that we've done is we've actually turned uptime on its head. Now, in the old days, you know, these uptime figures of two years, three years were put on the internet and there's look at my uptime. Now it's the other way around. It's like, you know, there's an uptime of 45 days. Oh, look at my uptime. That's bad. We need to get this rebooted and check it is reboot safe. Trying to find reboot windows sometimes is a bit difficult. Even with all the resilience, it just takes systems down. But we do have some sort of bargaining going on with various teams where we do try and reboot these systems at least once a month just to make sure they are reboot safe. So help me understand that phrase. What, what do you mean when you say reboot safe? So reboot safe is simply that if potentially a change can be made to a machine, that means a machine, when it reboots, it's going to crash or there's going to be a problem where it can't complete the boot, a corrupted bootloader, something like that. We've seen issues in the past where Microsoft Update has corrupted the bootloader. So when you go to reboot it, it doesn't restart properly. So we've actually got the term reboot safe, which just means I know if I have to reboot that server, I don't have to worry about it. It will come up. The operating system will start. All the services that need to start will start because we've had issues in the past where certain key services don't start. So we get a ticket. Can you please reboot this machine? Sure. Yeah. Reboot it. You walk off. You think it's done, but the services don't start. Now, the alerting will alert on that. But in the meantime, you potentially still down for a bit longer than you need to be. So we do these tests where we just want to make sure all the services that need to start actually start. And it comes up completely 
clean and working exactly how it should. You're giving me, and by the way, I, I agree with you with this idea of the occasion of reboots. And I agree that it's, that it's a practice that has gone by the wayside by a lot of people. And I, I remember, I can remember the first time I left my, this is before I got the Mr. Backup moniker, and I, I got a different moniker and I'll explain it in a minute. I was at a large oil and gas company and no one had administered the data center like a real sysadmin in years. And so I was going in there and I was doing crazy things like installing the latest patch set. And this was, these were Solaris systems and it required a reboot in order to, to install the patches. And what was happening was I was like, oh, for 10 in terms of I would install a patch, I would reboot the server and it wouldn't come back. And so I picked up the nickname Crash because that's what I, I was just, I was literally, it's like the, the cure is worse than the disease. So yeah. we need to do this, but I was doing, I was proactively doing damage to the environment by doing the things I was doing. What I did get really good at though, is restoring their environment <laughs> because it kept, so what it turned out, the things that were really, I don't know, um, in trouble were the disks themselves because we actually powered down the servers for some of them. And that's when things really went awry because the disk drives had never been turned off. And then, yeah, and then they wouldn't come back on. So I had to get all new disk drives and then and, and then do the restore. But yeah. Yeah, but even with the virtual machines, we still like to reboot them to make sure all these services that should come up do come up. We've even, in some cases, taken that paranoia to the next level where we'll do a reboot test before we install a patch or before we do something just to make sure that it's not that patch that's caused the problem. Now, we generally don't do that for the Microsoft patches, but we do that for certain application patches. And it's almost a, a sanity check, you know, because that way, if there is a problem, we know that it is that patch that has caused the problem and not something lurking yeah. from beforehand. Now, going back to the article you wrote, Gary, one of the things I liked in it was you talked about this spreadsheet, if you will, that tracked sort of assets that were backed up. And you had a methodology that you called out in the article in terms of how long you would wait before something had to be tested or how the longest something could go without yeah. being tested. And there were certain things that were critical in your environment that sort of had to be done more periodically. Yeah. So what we did is we had a spreadsheet that listed all the backups anyway. And one of the things we tried to do was make sure that there was no clashing backups. So the exchange server would get backed up at say 10 PM, the file server would get backed up at 11 PM, that kind of thing. Because otherwise we found there was a lot of issues on the network and latency and all this kind of thing. So we wanted to stagger the backups as much as possible. But what we did was we actually added a column to that spreadsheet that said, Restore last tested, documentation last updated, that kind of thing, so that we knew when the backups were tested and we knew when that documentation was last updated. And what we'd do is we'd actually have, there was a formula in it that would color the cells. And if it was all green, everything's fine. We'd done a recent test. I think recent was like six months, 12 months, something like that. And if anything was over outside of that window, it would go red. So I think the exchange server was every six months. The Active Directory was once a year. The file server was, I think we 
restore a folder or a file every month, something like that. And we did this quite a lot. And we actually slowed down some of the tapes going off site for things like the file server. So we could do a backup a couple of days later, you do a restore test, update the date in the documentation. We know that's good. Send the tape off site. And that's actually, funny enough, that was a financial reason as well because of the cost of sending the tapes off site. But yeah, we started to do that and we started to get quite good at being able to do these restores. We were even able to get some additional hardware and we even started to do some tests where we were restoring to virtual machines because doing that process, we found we could get them up and running a lot quicker. We had a bit more room to breathe and we could have a much better virtual environment. And then we even got into some other really clever stuff where we had a physical domain controller and a virtual domain controller. and We tested failover and, and all this. We, we got really advanced. <laughs> so you're saying that the, the green column was actually, the color of that column was automatically determined by time frame? By the age of the last test. That's pretty Conditional cool. formatting, Curtis, in yeah. Excel. That's it. You're probably better at Excel than I am, but <laughs> Gary, I, this has been great. I, I love this story. I love that it, like the other story we had where, I don't know if you listen to the podcast at all, Gary, but we had an episode where someone, they tested their backups by essentially deleting their entire data center. <laughs> Paul Van Dyke, episode 135. Wow. Yeah. I haven't heard that one. I have heard some of the others and yeah. I have to say I'm a fan. And it was... That one, that one just, it hurt to, to listen to his story. And it, and it was, he agrees that it was a really dumb idea. It did eventually work out, but it, it, it took him a while. <laughs> I can imagine. I, I just remember the pain of the exchange server. And whilst I've not had a repeat of that pain since, because the software is better these days, the restores are a lot quicker and, and you do have a lot more options to play with. We still have that pain from time to time when trying to do certain restores and testing the environment out. So I, I am still not that brave to do something like that, but yeah, I think we're getting there. Yeah, I'm not sure and, brave uh, would be the word I would use. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have talks about bringing in things like the chaos monkey and takedown things, but yeah, that's the, the test for another day. Yeah. Thanks, Persona, for your usual great questions. Always. And nice chatting with you, Gary. That was fun. Thank you. And thanks to the listeners again. This is your why we here. Your why we sit here and talk to us. Curtis and I will talk like to I each other to anyway. Talk. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll probably be talking about table saws or video editing tools. But anyway, remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. Good.